My ticker, not gonna slow me down. Look at that photograph out there, all blown up. Good guys, locking up the bad guys. as the old crowd. Yeah, I remember bank robbery in 1979. Got the head man on the phone. He was so mad. Got his daughter down here, put her on the bullhorn. He cried like a baby, went to pieces. They marched out, single file, hands in the air. That was 40-something years ago, went like that. I'm gonna have a hard time getting my generation off the stage. Willie Nelson's still doing concerts. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Dad, Willie Nelson is a guitar player, and he's not doing a lot of heavy police work. This is scary. It's new. I never saw a body like that. It's a murder. It's nothing new. Treat it like a murder. You get the team together, all right? You get all the guys together, you handle them, I'll handle everything else. Oh my God. What is this, 11 new emails on this thing this morning. Jesus Christ, this is worse than my birthday. Hello, and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. I'm your host, James Katz. And now, here he is. The head of the jury for the Rome, Georgia Film Festival, founded by Marjorie Taylor Greene, Teal. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Oh, man. Wait, wait till you see what we have scheduled for this festival. I am dying to hear the lineup. I'm sure that it, it definitely, there's going to be, what, a commemorative screening of Birth of a Nation, right? I was, you, man, I was just going to make that joke. <laughs> joke? <laughs> it's only an about American the classic. New, uh, the new restoration. <laughs> Woodrow Wilson loved that movie. I know. They should do a remake. You know, I mean, we're all picking on poor Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's not like uh, it's not like she's like the oh well, she's probably the only white racist they've ever had um, hold office yeah. in an official capacity, right? Never before. Never before. <laughs> Forget no, the David she, Duke she, representation. She's an aberration, a total aberration. Imagine if you will, if you could go back to when David Duke was the was. A, I remember a rep from in Louisiana. 90. He ran for president, I think, in 92. <laughs> but he was actually one of Louisiana's reps, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's what I think, you know, to kids today are like, oh, my God, there's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, she's freaking horrible. But at the yeah, same time, but, but, this is like an American I, tradition. <laughs> yeah, I just, I decided I couldn't be friends with her anymore. Yeah, 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 drop it. So, so now it's a little bit disgruntled. You're on the jury. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> God, uh, I know. And she was only the worst one, too. I mean, yeah. there's a few of them that, uh, that are hanging out. It's getting bigger by the day over there in this uh, one-time party of Lincoln. <laughs> Yep, no longer the party of Lincoln. No. Now the party of Jefferson Davis. Oh, man. <laughs> Sad times, man. Oh, man. So you've been watching any movies? I or have. Just, I've, I've or just probably... watching Marjorie Taylor Greene? That, that... <laughs> I did. You know, I don't watch a lot of those. Like, I don't watch 24-hour news programs because I feel like that's that's really when you've decided that you have nothing in your life anymore. Right, yes. <laughs> I mean, really, if you can't find things to watch other than that, 
uh, you know, that's sad. Uh, yeah. you know, learn to paint by numbers or something, but, <laughs> something, anything, <laughs> but get uh, a coloring book. And, uh, so yeah. I only hear about the, the tweets that she's written and, and some of these other things, but I didn't even know what she sounded like. I actually don't know what she sounds like. I've never seen her on TV. I did it, man. <laughs> oh man. Oh. I don't know. Okay. Let's talk about movies. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> Yeah, me too, me too, but... <laughs> Good times, people. Good times. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you see? You know, we talked about some movies last week, so... I saw a movie that you were talking about, I think, last week or maybe two weeks ago. Well, I don't know when we taped it. I don't, yeah, I don't know last when we Last week, taped. I think, is when it premiered. Okay. Anyhow, there was a movie you were talking about mm. that you were trying to get me to watch. Okay. Which sometimes tough. I haven't been able to get you to uh, watch uh, Roma yet. I, no, I'm never watching that. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> but I watched The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Not not Wall Street, but of Snow Hollow. Yes. <laughs> I have seen I've seen the Wolf of Wall Street movie, but this is the Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is, you know, a lot like the Wolf of Wall Street. Right, right. Just no DiCaprio. <laughs> Uh, no, this is the Jim Cummings movie. Uh, you had talked about this, but I'd kind of forgotten that he uh, was also the writer director. Ah, yes. And of course, I didn't, I tried not to give him any details because I just, you know, I don't want, you know. I, I, so I, I'm about 20 minutes into this movie and I go, who is this actor? That's the same thing. It was about 20 minutes. And I said, all right, I got to see what's going. This guy is interesting. It's a really, it's a crazy performance. It totally is. It's, and it's astounding. I mean, he takes. I, it's hard to describe, but it it is really uh, just an all out performance. I don't know how to what to compare it to, but he brings all these weird layers, and all of them are funny and tragic and sad. And it's not what I was expecting in a movie like this. No, I was expecting kind of a B horror movie, which it sort of is, but largely, I think a character piece about this guy basically having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, and if anything, like the wolf plot is really kind of um, allegory in a way. It is, yeah. And I, okay, I got to say something about the wolf plot. Okay. Uh, can I give away a little bit of this movie? I had to cut out a lot of stuff on the last episode because you keep wanting to give away things out of things like uh, Promising Young Woman and stuff. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm like, we can talk about the movie without having, it's not like a giveaway show. So, I mean, because I feel like that's part of the fun of the movie. Okay, so. Uh, let me frame it. There is this battle between myth, legend, and science. And exactly. Kind of, it's the old X-Files battle. Yeah, right. Going on of like, look, if something seems to be too good to be true, it is. And but wait, yeah. what about, but but if you actually but then you see the wolf, but yet you still don't believe in well, the Well, that's what I was gonna give away was that you about half an hour into the movie, you see the wolf. Right, because at first it's like, well, the audience, does the audience know whether there's a wolf or not? Exactly, but then it's totally revealed in like a full shot of the wolf, and you see the wolf, and you go, oh my God, it's a werewolf. This is a werewolf movie. Why is this cop not coming around? That's the best part. Everybody yes. else comes around, but he does not come but around. But he does it. not, and he starts having a breakdown about it because he's not sure what's real and what isn't. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so fantastic. I mean, I actually think that I like it better than a lot of the people that will give it a pass because I think that there's something really brilliant going on in this movie. Yeah. I mean, in addition to just like, yeah, his performance, the movie is worth watching just for his performance alone. As a writer, he does something really interesting, which is he keeps scenes really short. 
And so this movie's like 84 minutes long, but a lot happens. You know, sometimes actors will, when they write, will go on a little bit. You know, they get they get into the words and the dialogue. Uh, but he keeps it really tight. I love that because people, you know, with, with digital, it's like, oh, well, you know, they, we don't have to worry about the economy of film anymore. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's a complaint I have. And I think it takes real good filmmaking chops from a writer and director standpoint yes. to keep a movie like this lean. It's lean, but there's also so much in it. There's the relationship with his father. There's the relationship with the other cop. There's the relationship with his daughter and his ex-wife. The daughter who he gives the um, he gives the pepper spray to on her uh, like her <laughs> for her sixteenth birthday. birthday at the Catholic school. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love you know he goes in to talk to. I, I think it's that scene actually, and she she just says. Dad, do you think this has to do with your mother leaving you when you were young? <laughs> and he just and he just looks at her and he's got this like dumb look on his face and he goes, mm, "No." <laughs> I love the <laughs> well, it's like, like she she nails him and he's and his response is like so emotionally undeveloped, I guess. Well, I think unintentionally too, because uh, you know this year has been quite this past year, I should say, yeah. has been uh, quite. Uh, a debate about uh you know cops in the country yes and in this film everyone's just bagging on the cops as if they suck and he can't understand it and then he's like he's like who would throw a beer bottle at a at a police car <laughs> like he doesn't and even then, understand and and then they he finds out who threw the bottle it's so great <laughs> but yeah, no, you're, they, everyone hates the cops in this movie. In a small town, they're like, you suck, you can't solve a crime. It, 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 the other cop, um, what's her name? The actress I uh, really liked, uh, Ricky Lindholm. Yeah, she was in um, Under the Silver Lake. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. She shows up as like, you know, she's kind of a comedian and she's a character actress and she's one of those people that you typically go oh i know who she is but you don't know her name but I, I like her a lot she's part of a comedy duo yeah i forget their name yeah garfunkel and uh oats and oats yeah <laughs> oaks uh, i don't know what no it's garfunkel and oats okay yeah yeah so she, uh, she has a really interesting performance in this because she kind of i think is the most stable character in the movie yeah and there's that of course that scene where she clearly kind of likes him yeah, yeah, and and he's like, I don't know, I can't even because it's been like a, it's been like a month or so since I've seen it. I can't remember those liners, but I just appreciate the way he writes dialogue. The way he writes dialogue is fantastic. Yeah, and again, this movie, like, it could be kind of a comedy. It, it, it it's a very odd movie. It manages all these different tones. And somehow they all sort of coalesce. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's skipping or or tonally inconsistent. It all feels like it's part of this whole thing. Yeah, it's just. Uh, and, and then his direction. We haven't talked about his direction. You were mentioning the dialogue, but uh, I also really like his camera movement. I said in the last episode. You know, I had intended to sit down and half pay attention to this movie. Yeah. But it was very quickly that I'm like. Oh, this is well made. Like this is a person who is actually confident in the way he's moving the camera. And yes. I didn't know again, I didn't know at the time who the director was, who the right. writer was, 
or the or who the lead actor was. I had no idea that it was all the same person. <laughs> no, this this movie is a tour de force. Yeah, and I had to go quickly to the, I'm like, wait a second, this is not the crap bag sort of B movie, you know, horror thing with a werewolf that I was expecting. This is like this is something that is more and it's the kind of film that I would embrace as a teenager when I would like wanna, you know, rent it a bunch of times and uh, or <laughs> This would have, I would have loved this at age 14. I mean, I still like it now, but I would have flipped out over it if this came out in the 80s. Just proves a point that, you know, low budget doesn't have to be a bad movie. It can be really good. It can be really, well, and the movie does not look low budget. No way. That's another thing. It really looks like it's got a much bigger budget than I know it had. Yeah, and I think I don't know who shot it, but some of that goes to the cinematographer. I, now I want more of this guy. Well, he, he's got this movie Thunder Road. Did you check that out? I've watched about half of it. Oh, okay. Not that I didn't like it. It just, we haven't gotten back to it. And uh, sometimes that happens. I call them orphaned movies where we watch it one night and then we get distracted and a couple of days go by and you're not in the mood to rewatch that part. Yeah. And you get into other things and then suddenly you're like, oh, I got this list of films that I got to get back to. <laughs> that I haven't finished. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many orphan movies I have on Criterion, not because I don't like them, but like it's just it might take me a year and then I'll go back and watch the rest of it. Will you start at the beginning again when you do that? Depends. Not always. I'm pretty good at like, oh, yeah, I know what's happening now. <laughs> I, it depends on the movie for me, but sometimes I will start over again at the beginning. So you're saying I didn't steer you wrong with The Wolf of Snow Hollow? Oh, no, not at all. This is, this I is thought you'd like it. it. No, it's a great movie. It's I mean, it's, it's such a tough movie to categorize because it is a genre movie, but and it is a B movie, but it's also this really interesting character study and this whole allegory with the wolf, and it's got a lot more going on for it than it should. Well, I think that's the essence of a good genre movie and why certain filmmakers over the years like some of their favorite stuff, like a Tarantino, right? We just use an example. Why I love Grindhouse, because there were certain things within a particular film that you couldn't see anywhere else and you were getting little things that you like. Maybe it's a performance. Right. Maybe it's a moment. And that's where I'm like – this film, well, first of all, just like it's in a werewolf movie, I thought it came, I thought it wrapped up very satisfyingly to me. Yes. And I thought it really, like, it actually worked. Like, everything that he had devised for this plot, yes. it all worked. And it all revealed itself before it became too obvious. Oh, yeah. No, it, it I didn't. I didn't have it all figured out. No, and I like that. I like that. Yeah. He, that's why that's why sometimes a movie being short like that, he throws a lot at you and you're not uh, – you're not like, okay, I know where this is going. Yeah, you're definitely not a step ahead of this movie. But part of the reason for that, again, is just that you're so focused on his character and what he's going through emotionally and uh, in terms of his grasp on reality. And for me, that I just get so caught up in the performance that I'm less worried about the plot. Well, because, you know, with a movie like this, nine times out of nine, it's really all about trying to solve the wolf mystery. And that's all you get. And you get the procedural of that, essentially. Yeah, and it gets boring after a while. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, maybe I like this character or that because they got somebody to do something funny. But this is a film that actually explores the characters and is probably more interested in the characters' lives than it is of the plot. But it never forgets the plot, though. No, the plot keeps it moving along. And, uh, you know, that's the other thing. The uh, I, I guess sort of the more – they're not really action scenes, but there's that one wolf attack and then he – gets out and he starts shooting at it 
And, uh, you know, that's, oh my God, that scene. <laughs> <laughs> his See? daughter, his daughter gets attacked by the wolf and she's lying there bruised and bloody. And she says, are you going to ask if I'm okay? And he says, I don't have time for you right now. I'm at work. <laughs> But see, those are things that like, like what, what that reveals so much about Jim Cummings, the writer director, yes. because somebody has to think about that. And that tells me he thinks about things a different way. Yeah. And that's what excites me to see what else he's doing. And, and, and then his character, you know, he has his first movie, this Thunder Road. Yeah. It seems like he's working out this character. Right. Well, so have you the, seen that? No, I haven't seen it. So it started as a short thunder road yes and it won at sundance like the short film and then they turned it into a feature yeah and i'm not quite sure yet i think this is maybe why we've stalled is it may not have enough legs for a full feature but right but it's in but the character is interesting and the character is interesting and he's maybe a little bit more like i said i think he's dialed it back and refined this type of character for the wolf of snow hollow but he's still interesting to watch. I just, I don't think he can play another kind of on the edge cop. Right. Anymore. Yeah. Like he's he's going to have to He's got to do something else for his next, uh, his next gig here. But yeah, I mean, I, I was expecting an on the edge cop. You, you had mentioned that, that that was the character in this movie. And I was expecting something a little bit, you know, more gritty and realistic. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the, the when you say cop on the edge, you know, that like there's like 20 movies that pop well, into your mind. he's not quite right? super troopers comedy, but he's also not quite, uh, he's not seven either. It, exactly. Yeah. It, it, but it has a, his performance is not just comedic. You're right. It's not super troopers. It has so much pathos and weirdness and insecurity. It's like the character's filled with insecurity that sort of oozes out of him in all these different ways at the same time he's totally overconfident and and yeah and then the whole relationship with his dad is fascinating i guess this is robert forrester's last movie it is oh love that robert forrester like even in a film like this it's like yeah it's not that he just is picking up a paycheck He, he actually gets some great dialogue as well to use yes yeah. Oh, he absolutely does. And it's, an it, again, an interesting character that we kind of find out more about over the course of the film that, you know, how little work he's doing, but refuses to give up. I have to say that this is the kind of characters in this little town that I would probably love to watch like a, a little limited series about the goings on in this town. <laughs> you know, this this show could be a series. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be have the supernaturally type element every time, right. but it's just there's some interesting characters, and I think this is a guy who could write a very interesting series. That's a good idea. He, somebody should tell him that. Yeah, Jim, listen, if you're listening, <laughs> you come on and you tell us your uh, your process and what you're going to be up to, and we'll give it a stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah, uh, run all your career choices through us first. Uh, okay, so all right, so you watched that and you enjoyed that. It, what else yeah. did you see in this? Well, it's funny. We were just talking about, you know, this uh, movie could have been a procedural. Right. Right. Where you just uh, follow through the thing. And so uh, this other movie I watched, which I'd never seen, is a procedural. What's that? Captain Phillips. Oh, you watched. I'm the captain now. Look at me, Teal. Look at me. (laughs) I'm the captain now. Look at me, Irish. So, yeah. So I watched Captain Phillips. I don't know how I missed it. Uh, the first time around. I'll tell you what happened with me, right? Is 2013, I'm back in, I was living in Massachusetts and 
I had, you know, the one kid was very small. He was only a year old. And it was just harder to get out to the theaters then. Yeah. So I couldn't get it to see it in the theaters. But I think when it first hit on demand, then my wife and I rented it on demand so we could watch it because I really was mad that I couldn't see it in theaters because it was like playing an IMAX and stuff. And right. I, I really wanted to see it because I loved United 93 and I felt like he could bring something like that vibe to another to this. story yeah. that, like you said, is a procedural. Um, so then I enjoyed it, you know, but it's like, wow, suddenly it's seven and a half years later and I hadn't seen it again, but we talked about it. So I yeah. said, oh, I got to watch it because I think my boys will like it. Yeah. So, uh, and did they? Oh my God. They were on the edge of their seat to the whole movie. They loved it. Okay. We had to stop it. We stopped just after they board the ship Okay. Uh, on the first night because then, and then the second one, the second night, I mean- they were like, you could practically feel them squirming and it's just was so, I mean, it's such an insane story. It's such an insane story. Now I remember when it happened. I do too, but I didn't know all these details. No, I didn't know all the details at all. That was one complaint I have about the movie. Oh, you have a complaint about it. And maybe a little couple of nitpicks, but here's one. Okay. Because I didn't really realize this until I was reading about it afterwards. Okay. It's a post nitpick. Yes. <laughs> It's a post nitpick is that I didn't get a good sense in the movie over about how much time had passed. Hmm. Um, so, for instance, when they the guys in the engine room capture the captain. Yeah. They held him for 12 hours in real life. OK, so that's probably where they had to take some license. I'm not I, I, I'm up. not complaining that the movie's unrealistic. It's just like, how long is he in the lifeboat with them? Is It's like two days almost. Yeah, right. But it, it, I don't think I mean, in the, for as far as the film goes, it's all condensed. It's not right. supposed to yes. be a real time adventure. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I wasn't asking for real time. I just, you know, wanted a couple of dissolves or something to make it feel like time. Was oh, my God. I'm, a, I'm reaching through the microphone. Smacking you. Um, here's something that's interesting. When it was in theaters. Yeah. All of the dialogue of the Somalis had subtitles. Yes. But when in, I watched it, when it was on home video and stuff, they left those subtitles off. Oh, really? Well, you didn't see the subtitles, did you? I watched it with subtitles. You did? Yeah. Oh, you should never have done that. Oh, you're not supposed to? No, no, no. Because then you had to watch it with like every subtitle. <laughs> yes, right? I did. I no, did. no, 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 no. That's what, no. I, Okay. But I'll tell you what was so fascinating watching it this time. This is a film that's very much about communication. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And it's communicating with people that don't speak the same language as you. Right. Or occupy the same reality. So when you're watching without subtitles, and I have two kids, right? And they're yeah. not, they're young. And my youngest was kind of like, oh, it's annoying. I can't understand what they're saying. And so when they're like, we had to stop and we're explaining to them, well, look what's happening here. Look mm -hmm. what's, you can just figure it out. Like clearly these guys, right? They're being, they're, 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 whoever they report to, there's warlords and stuff. They have to go on this mission. And these people are all going to get paid something and you, they're trying to recruit extra people and look at all the yeah. people that want to be a part of this because they want to feed their families and no matter what yeah. the risks are. So you don't even need to know exactly what they're saying, but you also can get to see who's kind of the leader. And even though they're arguing, you don't know what they're saying, you get a sense of what they're going to do. And then you can, then it's uh, the cutting, cross-cutting action to what's happening on the boat. There's some very similar things happening and there's this amazing moment that happens 
and I, again, I'm watching this for the second time and getting some of this yeah. in a deeper level where the people on the boat are like, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, right, right. I want, let's get it. Let's go to the best, you know, the quickest port and get out of here. And Captain Phillips is like, this is what you signed up for. And, uh, you know, well, you can sign your papers and we're going to drop you off at this port and you can then try to get yourself a <laughs> flight home. But then it kind of cuts to the boat where after their first failed attempt at taking over the ship and there's almost the exact same argument yes. going on that without the subtitles, you can't hear exactly what they're saying, but you get that it's like, oh, well, here's this other captain guy, and he's basically telling his people the same thing, like, yep. well, this is where we signed up, everybody, I could have picked other people, and now we have to go through this, and when there is no choice, we can't go back. There's a moment, the guy who cuts his feet on the class? Yeah. I think they say something similar to him, like you that you signed up for this. Like Yeah. But see you got the title, so you knew that, but like I think that Well, I, I started without the subtitles, then I turned them on, then I turned them off for a while. <laughs> yeah, we went all the way with no subtitles, and that's where I'm like, but you know what? It actually was great. It adds the tension because Captain Phillips is sitting there and he has no idea. They tell him yeah. they're gonna shoot him in the head. Like he does not know when he's in that sub, it's so claustrophobic. Yes. And you know, where it's not a sub but it looks like one yeah the lifeboat yeah but it's so intense and basically the guy's trying to figure out a how can he get himself rescued yeah but also how does he keep himself from getting shot and killed and anything he says he doesn't know what he does is going to is going to set these guys off and when they start talking he's just like me in the audience i don't know what they're saying right 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 yeah so it added a lot of tension and i i just I saw this movie already, but it's been eight, eight years almost, and I was on the edge of my seat with this movie. Here's why I don't like this Paul Greengrass guy. Oh, now, okay. <laughs> or rather, I do like him now, but I, <laughs> but I didn't like him because of that Green Zone movie. I didn't like the Green Zone. That was not a very good movie. It was terrible, and that gave me sort of a bad impression of him. Oh, yeah. This movie, would you just not see United 93? I, I, I didn't see United 93. Are you come, come, you know, now I got to put that on your list because that I movie, I know it's very hard. I haven't been able to watch a second time because in my entire film going experience, the most intense hour and a half, two hours I've ever had in a movie theater, bar none, was United 93. Yeah. I had a pit in my stomach for the entire film. I was biting my shirt. It was my, I was in knots because I've never seen a film so tension filled as that. And that is exactly why I haven't seen it yet. So if you found Captain Phillips intense at all, ra ratchet it up 10 times is what United 93 is. Okay. So I, uh, something happened to me at the end of uh, this movie. Okay. And you can give it away. It's a true story. When it's a true story, you can give it away. <laughs> It's true. And I knew I knew how it was going to end. You know, I knew this. I knew most. I didn't know all the details and everything that happened along the way. And I uh, and I'm not really I know there's some controversy about what the real guy is actually like and stuff, but I don't. Well, there is some controversy in that some of his crew members like he was sued because some yes. people felt that he took too many chances and knew he was in dangerous waters. And, and went too close to the coast to try to make the run quicker. Yeah, and, those kind of things. Which, of course, if you're on a boat and scared after the fact because you really wished you didn't. Uh, it's kind of like, oh, geez, there's this terrible disease going around. What? There's a vaccine <laughs> and I can take it, but I don't want to take it. But now I'm afraid of both things. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get it. So anyways, anyways, the end of the movie, you were saying. So the end of the movie, I cried. It's, it's emotional. First of all, Tom Hanks 
was not nominated for Best Actor for this film. What he does in that final 10 minutes is something beyond acting that I've never seen. The, the scene when he goes into the medical bay. And he's in shock. I've never seen. I mean, how did he do that as an actor? I don't know. That, that's the scene that made me cry. It's incredible. The way, she, the way the nurse or the doctor is talking to him in this really calm way, and he's just in extreme shock and pain. He's not even sure. He can't talk. Uh, I, wow, that just hit me really hard, just the, the amount of trauma this guy had gone through and how you see it in his face and his body and just Anyhow, uh, just that moment at the end of the movie is, is just so powerful, especially since you've gone through all this with him. And like you were saying, you're on the edge of your seat. You're incredibly tense. And so this moment of relief at the end is very cathartic in a way. And really, it really hit me. This was sort of like Paul Greengrass, United 93 Part 2, because all of that stuff that he did in United 93 that led yeah. to that authenticity Right. Is what I saw in Captain Phillips, and it's so different than what I'm typically used to getting in this type of film. Part of it is just the sort of boring details are really compelling. Like just how things work on the ship or, you know, they're looking at the charts or how the chain of command works. It's like pretty basic details about how this world works are so woven into it that it just becomes incredibly realistic. And uh, you you really feel like, yeah, this this is the ship. Well, you know, it's funny because that's the stuff that I think both of you and I really enjoyed in News of the World. Those details about the world yes. were more interesting than whatever the plot was, but he had to go with this plot so often that it really wasn't, you know, that wasn't anything different than I haven't seen a million times, but right. the stuff about him traveling to these little towns and reading the news, I wanted more of that because it was fascinating <laughs> to get a sense of what was life like back in like 1870. Yeah. And the world is fascinating. And we talked about, uh, you know, I love that part of the movie where he finds that county that's like designed its own, become its own country almost. Yes. I thought, you know, that was really interesting and the way yeah the way he sort of uh, greengrass sort of inhabits all the details of the world is really fascinating and yeah just oh man i news of the world has not aged well with me no 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 and again i haven't i'm only bringing it up because we just are talking about captain phillips but it sounds like you did like it oh i no, i really liked it i thought it was fantastic yeah i thought the editing by christopher rouse which was nominated for an oscar for captain phillips was really was really good i i thought it was excellent a little bit connection because we just talked about immersing ourselves into a, a world and the details yes. uh this is a film that's not for most people i would say it turned <laughs> out it was not for my wife or my youngest who bailed out uh and i did finish it only because criterion was going to end this uh as of today it was only on okay. until the end of this month and i really wanted to see the extended version of terence malick's the new world okay now it's 15 minutes longer well, okay, there are three versions of the film. Oh, God, okay. So in 2005, the end of 2005 is when the movie came out. Yeah. And it was released in just a few markets yes. in a, in a two-hour and 30-minute version. Yes. And it was played in New York and L.A., and it actually played in Boston with the two-hour and 30-minute version, which uh -huh. I and my friend went and saw. 
Okay. In the theater. Because we were big, you know, like, oh, wow, we got to see this Malick movie. Right. And he knew, he like knew all about it. He's like, because after it gets out of that theater, they're going to show it in the regular multiplexes in a two hour and 15 minute version, which will actually be edited differently with some different scenes and stuff. Right. So this is a two hour and 30 minute experience. And I remember watching it and it was, it's slow. I mean, it's like I call mm-hmm. it a paint dry movie, but it was interesting. And I thought, boy, the problem isn't that it's two and a half hours. The problem is, is that it's not longer. Like, right. There's something not balanced. And I would actually think a longer movie might benefit or maybe the shorter version, which I never saw the two hour, 15 minute version. Right. But this is Terrence Malick's other cut, which is two hours and 50 minutes or 20 minutes longer than the two hour and 30 okay. minute version. Okay. I see. Okay. That's because I knew about the first cut. I didn't know about this uh, additional longer cut. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. I haven't seen this movie, by the way, since I first saw it in the theater in the beginning of 2006. Okay. Uh, so that's a, a long time ago. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. So uh, I can't remember much. I remember, you know, I remember somebody touching a blade of grass or something, but that could be all of Terrence Malick's movies. <laughs> That's <laughs> every Terrence yeah. Malick movie. Ever since he's been sh- shooting with uh, Emmanuel Lubieski, <laughs> there's these shots where it's like wide angle and you see the behind the person and they're like touching some some grass. They have their hand out over the top of the grass. Yeah, then you yeah. go cut to a stream and yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this is the first movie that really like, it, like he started it with uh, uh, the um, Thin Red Line. Yes. And uh, then this movie, he started to go into this full direction. But uh, this this full version, all I could say is it is definitely a different type of movie experience. Okay, interesting. Because if, um, from my memory's recollection, I felt like the movie was fairly evenly split between the lead character played by Koryanka Kilcher. She plays yes. Pocahontas. Yeah. And, or, or otherwise known as Rebecca. Yeah. And... She falls for Captain John Smith, who's played by Colin Farrell. And then later he leaves and then Christian Bale comes on the scene and then she has a sort of a romance with him. Yeah. But she really pines for Colin Farrell, who she was told drown uh, because he knew he was, he might never come back. And so he told somebody that a few months afterwards. So she marries Christian Bale, but she's never really in love with him. That's what I remember of the movie. Yeah. This version, the one that's two hours and 50 minutes. Christian Bale doesn't really come on the scene until like two hours and five minutes into the film. Oh, wow. It's mostly this romance between Colin Farrell and Corianka Kilcher. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. It's a much different, and it's a, very involved, and you really understand this deep connection they have with right. this version. Uh, and you get more of the experience of Colin going uh, with the originals is what the natives were called. I love that, that they were right, the yes. originals. Right, yes, okay, the originals. You've seen yeah. this movie, right? Yeah, but I haven't seen it. I saw the two hour and 15 minute, oh, minute cut did. in the theater and I haven't seen it since. Wow. So you didn't even see the two and a half hour version. No. Oh, well, this is a real experience. Um, yeah. No, I really want to. I Because uh, this is like 35 minutes longer than what you saw. Yes. And there's scenes that Christopher Plummer was like notoriously very angry with Malik because oh, really? he spent so much time on the set and then most of his stuff was cut out. <laughs> and so he was so pissed. He says, that's the most unprofessional thing. I'd never work with that guy again. But he's got more of a role in this movie. Okay. Not that much more, but I get a little I, bit more. I don't know what was taken out before because nothing stood out to me. It's like, oh, this right. is different. But it's just, to me, it's a hard movie to watch. I watch it in chunks, so it's a little bit easier, but I enjoyed it. 
I really did because of those details, because most of these films, whenever they're going to talk about early American history, as far as the the English are concerned, yeah. like the forming of Jamestown, it would just, it, it would be, it would be handled so stodgily. Yes. They don't make a lot of movies about this, this time period anymore, but they did probably like in the thirties, forties and fifties. Yes. Um, this is the approach is like, well, imagine if we had a camera that we could drop in in 19, you know, in 1607. Or and just actually record what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. With a wide angle lens and plenty of blades <laughs> of, of grass course. and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll score it to Copeland's uh, something. Uh, but, but I enjoyed it. And of course now it's not on Criterion for anybody to watch, but it just, it, you know, we were just talking about little details and this is, this film just from the costume. Those things cetera. often cycle back onto Criterion. So keep it in your, back pocket is something you might want to watch but you know malik he's very fat he has like he loves to have characters running around in a playful way in a field and then he puts some poetic sounding (laughs) narration over it but it really at some point is he doesn't really know how to write scenes i think well he i don't think he believes in scenes maybe not because i've heard that they um had to for any of the dialogue that is spoken a lot of it is adr because he was always talking in the background, telling them what to do. <laughs> and uh, I've watched some of Hidden Life. I haven't watched that much of it, yeah. but it's more of the same. It's this German guy and his wife running around in the fields in their village. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched like the first 15 minutes yeah, of it. That's what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's what it, I was like. Okay, yeah. Okay. Got I do it. want to watch the whole thing, but it looks gorgeous. But <laughs> yeah, well, they all. Yeah. I've given up on Malik. I know. I, I, I'm terrible. I'm still one of those guys thinking he, maybe he's going to have that one more left. Well, hey, if, if 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 that shows up, great. But uh, as far as I can tell, he's gone off into some weird little style of his own making that is just the same thing over and over again. All right, we're moving on. I'm keeping things. I'm keeping okay. things moving. Uh, do you want to talk about anything else? Do you have? Uh, I got plenty of movies, but I, I want to know what you want to talk about. What do you got? I want to talk about uh, the movie Shadow in the Cloud. Do you want to talk about it or we just thought we have to talk about it? Oh, no, I want to talk about okay. it. So what is that? What's, what's Shadow in the Cloud? Let's, what, what's that movie? Okay, that sounds so, good. Is that Malik? It's Malik. It's totally Somebody's it's touching Malik the cloud with their fingers. <laughs> I knew nothing about this movie going in. I knew very little about this film other than it stars Chloe Grace Moritz. I yep. knew it had something to do with World War II, and somehow uh-huh. she's on a on a bomber plane, and that you have to buy into the concept of somebody who's a woman being on a bomber plane. And that was really, and I and I also knew because I watched like a trip. I knew it had something to do with gremlins potentially, and that's like a whole myth, right? You want to explain that? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know there were gremlins. Oh, so movie. I already knew because <laughs> you I, knew way more than I did. Because they All showed I that knew. cartoon at the beginning of the movie, and they showed that in the trailer. Okay. Yeah. I didn't see that. I didn't see the trailer. So, uh, yes, there's the cartoon in the beginning. Uh, but I, I just knew that she was the actress and it was a world war two type thing. And yeah, you, <laughs> you mentioned the suspension of disbelief. This movie <laughs> requires so much suspension of disbelief that yeah. it, it, it's, it's beyond suspension of disbelief. It's so absurd, so over the top, so comic and cartoony. It reminded me a little bit of like uh, some early Sam Raimi movies. Yeah, except for Sam Raimi had some style and talent. 
<laughs> um, okay, so here's here's what I like, quite, and it's not quite Sharknado insane. No, it's not. Which it's, would be better if it was a sci-fi movie, <laughs> like, and I'm talking sci-fi channel. The thing is that her performance is actually pretty good for a while, for the first half of the movie. Yeah, where it plays sort of like a bottle movie. It plays like a bottle movie, and I was kind of into that. I was too for a while, and then there's this scene where she, she's in the little gunner turret ball and walked in there while being harassed by all these men i think this is what what turned for me is that i ended up because the dialogue was so abrasive and so juvenile and obnoxious and just not well written but very offensive to a woman absolutely in a way that didn't even make sense for the movie that i went to look and say who wrote this fucking thing (laughs) oh oh, man and that's when i suddenly at the same time that the movie was taking a turn I, I read this information and it did kind of make me, it put a pit in my stomach. Well, you knew who this guy was ahead of time. I didn't know. It was only in reading about the movie afterwards that I really, well, I found you watched out who the whole film is. without knowing who wrote it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And I wished I had. And I, yeah, I had no idea who he was. Yeah. I didn't know who wrote it. And I did know it was directed by a woman. Her name is Roseanne Liang, but I don't know. Yes. I, I, she, she must've been on like some shorts or something. This is like her first big effort. This was her first big effort, and it's a pretty low-budget movie. Uh, the whole thing is like on a on like a little set, and then blue screen or green screen, and then some green screen and some CGI. Yeah, which actually sort of annoyed me, but what the CGI? Well, no, just the fact that it was not that it wasn't well done for what it was, as far as that goes, like yeah. the like the backdrops and stuff, but that it was so obviously like you knew, oh. I think we've seen enough of those behind the scenes shots where you could just imagine pulling back and seeing uh, Chloe's <laughs> duck right. in this little like turret thing, right? And then it's like held up on a scaffolding and you see all the green screen around it and you just know that that's there and it really breaks the dis- you know the suspension of disbelief. It's kind of like when people were driving in cars for all those years and you see the bad, you know, like I'm like, why are they even bothering having a car scene if it's going to look this bad? <laughs> I guess I, uh, yeah, uh, a suspension of disbelief. For me, the movie completely jumps the shark about halfway through. Yeah, I mean, but you know what? To jump the shark, that <laughs> implies that the movie was really good and then it, then it jumps the shark into something bad, but the movie wasn't that good to start with. I thought it was kind of a fun midnight B movie kind of thing. <sighs> and then it jumps the shark. And at this point, for me, when it jumps the shark is when she gets out of the turret and climbs across the wing to get the package. Yes, it's very stupid. Well, and well, it was even before that is that you know what's in the package. And that's so ridiculous for other reasons that makes for no other sense. reasons. <laughs> so and that's when it starts to go because then, then, then it's like she's revealed when when she's playing a British character, yeah. which is weird. Like like Australians play Americans all the time, <laughs> all the and time, British but... play Americans all the time. But whenever Americans play British, you're like, why is <laughs> what why is, is that? But here? she does a good. You know, she was she did a, a, an accent in Hugo. Oh yes, and I yeah. thought she did a great job. And so yeah. I actually like bought whatever character she was and. It, this is a case where already with the screenwriter, which we're going to get to in a minute, yeah. is that it was like throwing everything in the kitchen sink and a million cliches. And it was bothering me, by the way. It was bothering me that I'm like, okay, this film is, even in the first half, which was better than what happens in the yeah. last half of the movie, or the last half an hour, is it's a ripoff. And I mean, it's a blatant ripoff of the Twilight Zone episode yes. and the segment from the movie of... The uh, 
gremlin on the, the, on the, the gremlin wing, on the wing, yeah. which is based on a on a myth there and a joke from from World War Two. So that part I I like that idea. Yeah. But it's also is also very reminiscent of the stuff that happens in the Steven Spielberg Amazing Stories episode. Yep. That also was the first time as a kid. Well, the first time as a kid that I started questioning Steven Spielberg was his <laughs> kick the can segment from the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. Um, which by that point he had really lost faith in even making the movie because John Landis killed people. Right. On the set of his segment. On the set, yeah. So his heart wasn't in it. But when I saw this kick the can segment, I'm like, ooh, Spielberg. <laughs> and yeah, then not, not great here. And then I, then he goes and does his amazing stories and he has this episode that's so intense, so great. It's like, oh, that's Spielberg, he's the man. And it ends so terribly that I'm like, ooh, Spielberg. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about you, Spielberg. I'm a little concerned as I'm a you know, a youngster here thinking that you are so great, but I am not sure about you anymore Spielberg and so that this movie kind of rips that off as well and of course this is where I'm bringing in that it is written yes by John Landis's son yes Max Landis who I had no idea who this guy was and so I'm like at first right the first I'm like wow he's just ripping off his dad's project even though his dad didn't direct that segment but yeah I realized I'm like this guy didn't have a lot of original ideas now First, I'm going to mention some of the shit that he's written. Okay. He has written such shit as Bright. Oh, did you see Bright? No, I heard it was terrible. It's the, it's a ripoff of uh, Alien Nation, right? Yeah, but it, but <laughs> I, I, I can't. It's hard to describe how bad Bright is. It's not just like a Alien Nation ripoff. It, it's it makes no sense. The script doesn't hold together. The story is all over the place. The characters are inconsistent. The pacing is terrible. It changes genre like three times. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Well, supposedly bad. this guy's writing philosophy is he'll do whatever changes are required to get it greenlit. Okay. He's written another movie, American Ultra. Garbage. Which I did not see. Victor Frankenstein. Did not see it. And then he also wrote... Josh Trank's Chronicle. Okay, which was not bad. Not bad, but Josh Trank yes. <laughs> banned him from the set. That's right. Didn't want anything to do with that garbage. And of course, why? Because in June of 2019, years later, what a lot of industry people knew, and it kept quiet, Landis was accused of rape, assault, and psychological abuse Uh N not all on uh, right, right. of eight, at least eight women. Yeah. And Josh Trank's take on it was, I believe every word of those women. Yeah. And I don't want them around. And so this like, so then of course that dovetails with this movie that was probably already greenlit and shooting. Mm -hmm. You know, now we have a problem called Max Landis, who was also yeah. a producer on the film that they fired him from producing. Yes. It. And then I think that uh, in order to like salvage some of it i don't know whether they rewrote it or that but then the the director got a co-writing credit though i think max landis thinks that he wrote the whole movie he does but if the director got a code so how the guild works it, that's how the writer's guild works they look at the different versions of the script and they decide how to assign credit and apparently both versions of the script are available online if you want to compare i, I don't neither do i oh, i was hoping that maybe you did the homework <laughs> Nope, no, nope, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I didn't care about this movie that much. It's fair or unfair? Because you got a more of a, 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 an unbiased because you just 
you went through the movie and then afterwards you found out. Yeah. As soon as I found out that it was written by Max Landis, and it just so happened that it just as the movie, I'm like, it may have made me want to look and say, well, who wrote this thing? Because right. it was starting to get a little bit like sloppy. That's when I saw the Max Landis and it was a pit in my stomach. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know what? If I had known that he was the writer in the first place, I think I would have bagged on this film and not, not watched it. I think uh, same here. So it does put a stain on the whole film. And what it brings into context is all of this really disgusting dialogue and the way that yes. the, the, like, the way women are kind of treated in this film. And then this sort of obnoxious, there's an, the thing that happens at the end with this baby and oh, yeah. her going after the gremlin and then like <laughs> breastfeeding at the thing, like, which is funny because my wife said, boy, you know, back then in 1942, like, when is she going to be able to breastfeed this kid? <laughs> it, 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 it's just it's such a horrible thing but i gotta i gotta read something to you okay because you mentioned this jump the shark thing right yes so i went on to the imdb and looked at some of the reviews oh of your average person and most people can't write anything that's a good review like they right. don't know how to write a, like, even a bad review they just don't yeah, know how to write yeah. and then you know they always have these like phrases. I love when people say, let me just start off by saying, like, that's how many of those do you read? Let me just start off by saying, I love this person normally. Um, th right, this isn't right. one of those, but like you have to get through all of those to find one that's decent as far as funny enough to read. Right, right, right. This is my favorite review of the film. This is the title. I rated the first half of the movie, which was, I think, three stars out of right. ten. Okay, Here, this is very short, but this is what they wrote. <laughs> and this is from John-Allen221. Uh, okay. From Jan, or no, two, two, just John-Allen2, January 21st, 2021. Oh, okay. So that's when they wrote it. 45 minutes of quite an enjoyable B-grade claustrophobic thriller. Then they jumped the shark. <laughs> oh, it actually says that? Yes, that's why I had to write it. Like <laughs> okay, listen to this. This is great. Yes, the gremlin is more believable than the mid-movie reveal. Decided to make up my own ending. <laughs> so here's here's not what happens in the movie, but here's what this person wrote instead. This is the best. Turns out she's CIA trying to deliver a captured gremlin artifact that could stop Japan weaponizing the creatures against the allies. All the crew, except the one that wasn't horrendously sexist, are brutally torn apart. She uses the artifact. Officially, queen of the gremlins. Hugs all around. Oh, furry hugs all around. <laughs> Happily ever after. She takes a submarine home. Final jump scare from the uber gr German gremlin. That is for some inexplicable reason wearing an SS uniform. Still a better love story than Twilight. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, you, you know, what's funny is that for the first half of the movie, that's what I actually thought. I thought she's some kind of spy and there's some device or magical artifact in the box. Yeah, they make it seem like that there's something that's going to be yeah. like a gremlin buster, that there's something to tie in this gremlin. That's <laughs> and be the on. gremlin doesn't tie in at all. <laughs> the marsupial. <laughs> oh, the Which, gremlin. by the way, that's why that was, you were like, jumped out. I'm like, this is, this is, you know what? If I want this kind of entertainment, I want Howling 3, the marsupials. <laughs> oh yeah it was but better if they'd had a marsupial uh halloween howling three on there but uh okay the other th in terms of the max landis thing i just i think it's important to point out that this also is in theory i don't know if it actually is but in theory this is like a female empowerment story yeah, a theory 
Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> yes. look, and I, and I saw some reviews that are like, yes, this is a feminist thing. That's actually why I wanted to watch it, because I thought it was going to be some great over-the-top action hero feminine empowerment yeah. tied in with the World War II, and it would just be like a rollicking fun time. Yes. It's not. No. <laughs> but okay no, so it's not <laughs> once the movie jumped I, I mean i almost turned it off when she climbed out onto the wing because it just made no sense that somebody could have that much strength but the point y is yeah. but but it's supposed to be that like her motherhood is a superpower essentially right uh, well, yes. she does say, you have no idea what lengths <laughs> I'll go to. Yes, she does say that. And that's basically that's basically the premise of the movie is how far will a mother go to protect her baby from uh, an abusive husband? Do you think that this whole film, as written by Max Landis, right, with protecting the baby and having this bomber, right? Yeah. Was it really Max Landis's way of saying to his father, you didn't protect the children on the set of your Twilight Zone segment. I know I wasn't born yet, but this is dad. This is on you, man, because you didn't go to all the lengths to protect those children or Vic Morrow. Right. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what, that's insane. Wow, that's, that's hilarious. That's my theory. Still a better love story than Twilight. I am not recommending this movie. It is a C-grade uh, midnight movie, and if you're willing to jump the shark with it, it, it might be a hoot. Yeah, it's a shame, too. There was a couple of visual moments when yeah. she was in this little uh, turret where you, the way, the way that her uh, thing was positioned and locked you could see like it above the the circle above and you could see the, the guy the radio guy and the, yes and as they were trying to get her out of it and i thought that was kind of like there's some neat things there yeah and it's just again it would have been a very interesting film had they been able to figure out a way to create a whole story with her stuck in that little uh, gun turret I would have been, I would have much preferred a movie, a, a bottle movie. And, you know, before she went out on the wing, I thought, this is awesome. It's a bottle movie. Well, I, I love like, bottle Gino movies. loves bottle movies. I'm like, this is his jam. Yeah. And it totally was until she goes out on the wing. And then I, yeah. And then I was just, but then <laughs> I got to there's the scene where she falls out of the plane. Oh, yes. And underneath her. But I love that part. I'm talking, no, this is the part that brought me back in. This is one of my favorite things in the movie <laughs> is the other plane comes underneath her, explodes, and the force of the explosion pushes her back up into her plane. A moment like that was perfect. It was perfect. That it, that was great. And it, had it been more of that, actually, either, either all a bottle movie or more of that kind of uh, slapstick action would have been cool. Yeah, and then the gremlin itself, which was like the marsupial, it had like that because I mean it was like a New Zealand film, right? Uh, yeah. So it looked like it was something that escaped from the outback or something. It was too. It became that CGI monster with the ridiculous mouth. I hate the ridiculous CGI mouth. That, I wish they'd there's that, that scene when it's like staring at her through the glass. That's when it really again when you talk about jump the shark and jump the shark for the gremlin is that a tinier gremlin would have been cooler. Well, and one that you see less, like when you first see it crawl across the wing, it's kind of, it, it, I just didn't need like big close-ups on it. Of course. And I mean, the movie just gets, she beats it to death at the end with her bare hands. Yeah. Cause she has the superhuman strength. Cause you don't know how far she's willing to go. Dale. <laughs> she's willing to go so far that she will 
push past a Max Landis script and she will beat down that marsupial <laughs> with the creepy big ass <laughs> mouth and tongue. <laughs> yeah, this is such an odd movie. I don't know what would have happened to this in a regular year. Would this have gone to theaters? Like, uh, this is what I my take on it is that it would probably be a direct. It would be one of those things where you'd see in your queue of oh movies now playing in theaters that you know is not actually playing in theaters <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it was just trying to get it's basically that straight to video but it would be something that if you lived in one of those markets that have one of those independent theaters that did show like independent films and midnight things yeah you know maybe it would have shown at the draft house for a week or something and there would be like some geek squad that would have been championing this because yeah. before the me too movement max landis would be their writing god he would this is, I'm just imagining the world. Oh, right. Yeah, yes, how this now. would be yeah. received. Right. And so, so I wonder how much Max Landis is actually hurting this movie in terms of their marketing. Well, I'm, that's why we're, we're telling now we're trying to hurt it. <laughs> See, because like, Well, yeah. I mean, it, look, had I known, I probably would not have watched it. Absolutely. And now I'm like, you know, again, do I know what really happened? No. However, if I look at a different situation and I think of, um, if I think of uh, Evan Rachel Wood and her allegations uh, against Marilyn Manson, who do I believe? I kind of believe Evan Rachel Wood. Yep, kind of do. I kind of think that Marilyn Manson did every creepy goddamn thing that she said he did. Yes. Do I have proof of it? No, but I <laughs> I will take her word for it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. this this movie is very complicated by the fact that he wrote it and that it is ostensibly a feminist type movie and that it also includes all this juvenile harassment that isn't very clever or interesting. No, I, I, you know, I soured on. The, first of all, this is the problem, right? If the movie had been able to maintain what it was doing in the first half of the film. Yeah. And then, and I, I walked away kind of liking it. I would have had been very conflicted finding out later that he wrote it. But, but the fact that it becomes so awful. Yes. And then you find out that he wrote it. It makes it even worse. <laughs> it, it does. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a very, it's sort of a weird companion piece to, um, well, not really, resp- uh, Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Which, again, Emerald Fennel is no Max Landis, thankfully. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's exactly that she's talking about those types of guys. She's talking, exactly. So it's, I guess that was the similarity is that it's those types of guys. And one movie takes a slightly more complicated look at them. Oh, so let's see what else we have here as we wrap up the program. All right. We've talked about Captain Phillips. We're done with that movie. Yeah. Now, I just as a follow-up from the last episode, I did finish Youth of the Beast. Oh, yeah. And then I watched the other movie that Seijan Suzuki, very famous for, not not his uh, Tokyo Drifter, but his Branded to Kill. Mm-hmm. And that's got the the chipmunk cheek guy, Joe Shishido. Oh, yes, yes. You were talking, yes. And it has this actress, Anumari, who is just so striking and very just like visually very interesting looking uh, person. Yeah. Um, and it's this Nakatsu studio, which was basically your Roger Corman type studio in Japan. And it made Yakuza films. Okay. And the whole thing was you shot it in one week. Oh, wow. You okay. edited it in one day. What? Yeah. They would edit in one day. So Seijon Suzuki was one <laughs> of their house guys. And uh-huh. he had gotten to a point where he could break the script down and knew exactly what he wanted to shoot and that's all they shot oh right so editing is easy because you're basically there was no extra footage there was no extra right like the coverage within a scene is exactly like what he imagined in his brain but sometimes things kind of jump cut 
or okay. get awkward and there's gaps just because he doesn't shoot. They only shot for one week and then to edit it in one day. <laughs> That's amazing. And so this Branded to Kill was the movie that got him fired from the studio. And he didn't work again for 10 years. Oh, wow. Because the movie is freaking insane. <laughs> it is the most insane movie. It's so, it's just so bizarre. And yet the sequences are amazing and where the camera is placed and this the, the angles and just the insanity of the story you get. And this character who's the number three hitman of the Yakuza and he goes on a mission that, of course, goes wrong. And then he's backstabbed and this stabbed. Right. And then he is taunted and played with by the number one Yakuza hitman. <laughs> okay. And there's this weird relationship going on with them where he's not going to just kill him. He has to kill him the right way. So they have to kind of hang out for a while. <laughs> this lead guy, the number three guy, he has a fetish for boiled steamed rice. like, And he loves the smell and he demands to smell it. Wow. And there's all these other crazy things, so weird and visual that at some point it doesn't matter that this movie almost doesn't make any sense because <laughs> I've just never seen anything like it. And it's just so wild. And it is just so crazy that I like have to recommend. And apparently it's a huge influence on people like Jim Jarmusch. Oh, really? Because it would show up in festivals like starting in the 80s. Okay. And then these, you know, these filmmakers, and this goes back to the beginning when we were talking about genre things where I think people, it's not about like one movie might be a perfect film and really great, right. but other films you enjoy more because they give you something and get you to think about movies and how to make a movie differently. Well, and they may have like one perfect sequence or something. This movie has so many things going on that I just can't even describe. But I can tell you this, it is one of the strangest movies I've ever seen. Okay. I I, I don't see how I can not watch this. To me, and it's also, it's only like 85 minutes or something. So, Well, yeah, if you're going to shoot a movie in a week. Yeah. They, they, and it's just so great, this <laughs> genre. But like, I can understand where they're like, this isn't the genre movie that- this is not what we this is not what we paid you for. Yeah, there's things that go on in this movie Teal that when you see it you're just going to be like I can't believe it. I can't. Okay, not. totally looking forward to this. Yeah. So it's really really fascinating. And again, Youth Youth of the Beast was my first introduction to Seijan Suzuki and okay. it also now that I understand it there's stuff that does, it's hard to keep track of what happens but partly because it was like we've got a week to shoot this. Right, right. And so we're right. shooting these scenes and then we put it together. But yet within that, there are just so many beautiful visual set pieces that I didn't care so much that I didn't know what the frick was going on by the end of the movie. So, okay. Youth of the Beast, right? Youth of the Beast is the color one. Okay. It starts in black and white for like a few seconds and then it goes in color. <laughs> okay. And then Branded to Kill. Branded, Branded to Kill to is kill. the one that is so absolutely off the wall. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, that's a good recommendation. People out there, it's on Criterion now as part of their uh, Japan Noir, and you should check that out. Okay. Last thing, my recommendation for you. You have a recommendation. I'm writing it down when I get, to get my pen out. You probably already wrote it down, I'm, but I'm just telling, I'm letting you know the bed sitting room yeah, is oh yeah, available bed, on Prime. Okay. Bed sitting room. It's on Prime. Richard, not John Lester. Yes. And it's a tough watch. Okay, who's in it? Ralph Richardson. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, it, it's like a bunch of uh, members of the Goon Show. Okay. I think it's based on a play. It's 
don't read too much All about right. it. I'm just going to go with it. it. It's a tough sit, but it's only but it's only 90 minutes. I'm the king of the tough sit. It's a tough sit, but it's only 90 minutes, and there's some really great stuff in it. Yeah, and we were also, you know, we we've been talked a few episodes ago with uh, Craig Wasson. We had that uh, discussion about the men's club with Peter Mayak. Yes. And uh, on Criterion this month, where we've been watching, we have to get back and finish it because it's pretty insane, is this documentary that Maydak made that it's this film that's haunted him for 40 plus years uh-huh. is the, it's the ghost of Peter Sellers, which oh. is this movie comedy that he made with Peter Sellers, where Peter Sellers basically hated him and basically tried to have Maydak fired and he sabotaged the entire movie wow. and it ruined Maydak's career basically. And Peter Maydak never, never could le- let it go. So he had to make this documentary as catharsis. Wow. It's insane. You have to you have to watch this movie. Okay. And that's on Criterion, right? That's on Criterion, yeah. Yeah. I think I yeah, I saw that it was there. And then the last thing I've got is this movie that I don't know if it's worth seeing, but I like little documentaries sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh there's this thing called Narrowsburg. Oh, I don't know it. It came out in two thousand nineteen and it's a directed by Martha Shane. It's a documentary about this little tiny hamlet in New York mm-hmm. called Narrowsburg. And the, again, it's a sleepy, like it's one of those like one street towns. Right, right, right. Main Street has got like a few stores. Well, this couple rolls into town, a French film producer woman and her mafioso turned actor <laughs> husband, this guy who was this r- real guy named Richard Castellano, who we had a role in Analyze This. Okay. They set up shop and he's this larger than life guy. And he's just one of those guys from New York that's like, you know, telling stories. You don't know what, what's right. true or not. But he infects the town with his positivity. Uh-huh. And they decide that they want to turn this town into the next big film festival haven. <laughs> okay. So, they you know, the, the International Narrowsburg Film Festival. And so they get the town to, to do this film. and Right. Film festival. And then he gets them to all invest in a mafia movie. Okay. And they all get parts and they have to pay this guy, but he gets them to get money. <laughs> and essentially like then suddenly he doesn't show up and the people aren't getting paid and they're like, well, what the hell, man? And then he shows up with this big bag of money after beating up some guy and then hands them all money. <laughs> and then they finally are going to have the premiere of the movie at like the second film festival. Uh-huh. And the guy and his wife don't show up. And the guy who actually had to direct the movie is like, uh, well, we have a preview, like a 15-minute like sizzle reel we can show you. <laughs> and we really want – and the guy's like – and all the townspeople are practically like with pitchforks ready to get this guy. And he basically – him and this uh, French producer, <laughs> wife, they fleeced the town. And he went to jail for a while and she kind of skipped town. And then eventually she set up chop in Queens doing an international Queens festival under a different name. And then, <laughs> then reporters tracked her down and she like exile. It's this crazy little movie. Oh, that's hilarious. And it just reminded me. I'm like, the, the thing is that they made it feel like it was the most unique situation in the world. And the yeah. funny part is that if you know anything about independent movies, this is what happens all the time. Right. Yeah. People all the sell time. ordinary Joes on a dream and run off out of their town with their money. And that is what <laughs> happened in a, in a large way at the beginning of the movie that your cousin made in the soup. Yes. Where there's these shady producers came in and they set up shop to make a film. And just as we were getting ready to run, 
They, they ran, ran out of time away. with the money. <laughs> they took the money and ran. And then the movie got shut down. <laughs> but then somehow it got resurrected. Yes, yeah, somehow it got resurrected. But that was like I was doing this internship for the movie. Right? It was always like I could have gone right. to work at like Saturday Night Live or something that could have helped my career. But I decided I'd do this internship on this movie, and I'm working with the casting directors and everything. And you know, halfway through the semester, and it's getting <laughs> right close to spring break time, and we're getting ready to shoot. And next thing you know. The movie's out, and a whole bunch of us who were interns are like, well, what the hell does that mean? We're going to go, oh, my God, we're going to get screwed with our credit and all this stuff. And suddenly the guy who was like the line producer guy, this guy Hank, was like, don't worry. Uh, I'll, I'll just have you in my office, and you'll get you'll get your credit. <laughs> but then the movie got up and running well, again. I go home. So the movie is off, and I go home for spring break now. I was going to be working the movie, and suddenly yeah. I get this call, and they're like, Oh, it's back on. And I'm like, well, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm, I'm back in Massachusetts. You're going to have to wait till I get back as far as my role is. And, uh, you know, at that point, it was a lot to do for me when when the movie wasn't shooting. But once the movie was shooting, like, there wasn't that much to do in the production office. Right, right. You know, so, like, uh, uh, I can't remember, like, what happened at the st- once the movie started shooting, what I did. But I do remember a lot about the pre-production part. Which was, yeah, which was insane. Oh, yeah, it it's also reminds me of that movie Shirkers. Yes, yes, yes. Right, where the girls get they get bamboozled into they get bamboozled a, into making a movie yeah. by that weird charlatan guy. Yeah, who then runs away with all the footage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. All right. Well, hey, this has been fun. Yeah, a little hodgepodge of an episode. <laughs> a little little hodgepodge of an episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Oh yes, as always, you the listener make it possible. For Teal and I to do what we do. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're going to be busy, right, for the next few weeks on that uh, Rome, Georgia film festival with. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's yeah. going to take up I'm a lot of sure time. I'm pretty sure she's going to run away with the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let's let's get her on the show. Uh, you know what, though? I have a, a, Here's a weird, <laughs> morbid fascination I have. I do have this morbid fascination of, like, wanting to reach out to repellent characters. And then putting them on my show and interviewing them and just seeing what you can get out of them. Like, can you find a humanity in them? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, 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 what are Tom Cotton's movie picks? <laughs> Let's get Max Landis on the show. Oh, you know what? I don't think I'd want. As a matter of fact, I think this is what the whole purpose of the show was, is so that if he ever heard it, he absolutely would not want to be part of doing our show. Uh, yeah. Because I really, yeah, I think Max Landis, again, going to pass on that guy. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping that kind of uh, his career is over. I'm up. Yeah, I'm canceling him. <laughs> yeah, I'm canceling I, my subscription. I'm canceling too. I I won't watch another Max Landis movie. Yeah, but you know, you the you the listener, if you'd like to watch the Max Landis's uh, next uh, effort, though he's been getting he's been getting dropped from things. Yes, he's been getting dropped from things. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a feeling they wanted to drop him from this movie. Hey, but on next week's show, we have Army Hammer. Uh, <laughs> he's he's suddenly free and available to do our show. So, all right. I don't, I don't even know what you're referring to there. You don't? Nope. I'm not. You know what? We don't have time. I, here's your homework. You go look up. Just type in Army Hammer's name now, and you see what comes up. Okay. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing of how you can basically destroy your career in, in one fell swoop. But anyways, uh, StuffWeSeen.com. Feedback at stuffweseen.com. We have an Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. You know, let us know what you want us to talk about and who we should cancel next. 
<laughs> yes, let's do some more canceling. <laughs> yeah, got any of the Max Landis's, Marilyn Manson's out there, or Army Amherst. Uh, that one's the weirdest, believe it or not, out of all of them. Um, and I can't believe you don't know it, but uh, you're going to know it. Wait a minute. I just Googled. Okay, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. Bye. Crazy. Okay, we're out. Cannibalism? <laughs>